Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Lisey Harrison, the best-selling author of many novels for teens, including The Click, Monster High, and Alpha's series. Harrison's new series is called The Pretenders, and the second book, Licensed to Spill, is being published in late June by the Poppy imprint at Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. The Pretenders books are narrated by five teenagers, Lily, Duffy, Vanessa, Sheridan, and Jagger. They're the Phoenix Five, freshmen at Noble High who are considered the most outstanding in their class. But these teens may not be quite who they appear to be, and the five private journals that make up the novels will continue to expose their secrets as the series unfolds. Lisi, thanks for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. So how did the idea for this uh, particular series uh, initially start to come together for you? Back when I started thinking about the idea, it was 2012, and it seemed as though every other pop culture headline had something to do with fraud. At the time, Lance Armstrong was exposed for doping, and the football player Manti Teo had this fake girlfriend who was tragically killed in a fake car crash, and Kristen had cheated on Rob, and it was just one scandal after another, and it seemed to me that so many people were just being exposed for having this inner life, their inner lives were being exposed, and I became more and more fascinated with just the pressure that we have as regular people, and then multiply that, if you're a celebrity, to sort of appear perfect, and that duality between how we have to appear and then our inner world and what's going on because we are really all just human and flawed on the inside and I just became more and more fascinated with that that pressure and how that pressure to be perfect makes normal people with really good moral compasses make really bad decisions <laughs> and I wanted to apply that to these characters especially you know taking it back to high school when everybody is just so self-conscious and so desperate to be um, loved and approved and popular and and just watch these characters who start off with the best of intentions and great hearts and great moral compasses and watch how the pressure just makes them turn in on themselves and and just make really bad decisions. Did you know early on that you wanted to have a lot of characters involved and and also have a lot of voices there? And then did this sort of journal-style format kind of flow from that? The journal came from, because that was sort of the best way for me to illustrate the inner life versus the exterior life, and uh, there was no better way than journals. So it really started off as, I want to sh- write something through journals so I could show this duality, and then what do I do with these journals, and, and what's the story from there? And why are these journals being exposed, and why is the reader getting an opportunity to read these journals? And I had to make that also makes sense. And so from that came, well, one of them could expose the journals, and this is the, you're reading the exposed journals. And it sort of just built from that little nub of an idea, and I just sort of flushed it out from there. And was finding or coming up with, I guess, the the, the five voices and personalities of the characters uh, kind of part of the fun for you? Absolutely. It was what five characters are going to give me a really nice cross-section of different personalities different people who hopefully the reader will find some of one of the characters in themselves, if not little shards of all of them to some degree. And they had to be relatable, but they also had to be different and interesting enough um, to each sort of stand on their own. And, 
you know, how, how can I write guys for girls and how can I write girls for guys in a way that they just seem real and writing guys was just amazing. So much fun for me. It actually felt like a holiday. It felt like this opportunity to, it just seemed easier if that sounds I'm sorry. Okay. I'm you're a guy, but <laughs> it just seems so basic. Now, now I do have to ask. Uh, the new book uh, opens with uh, with sort of a little disclaimer that talks about, I guess, the very cliffhangery nature of the first book, uh, Pretenders, which came out last fall. I have to ask: Were you getting something of an earful from uh, from some of your readers? <laughs> I was getting such an earful. I'm always a cliffhanger person. I mean, I've always written series, and so each series ends on this cliffhanger, and I never know where it's going to go from book to book. And that's sort of been my own process and technique and so anyone who's read my books is used to a cliffhanger but this one I didn't intend for it to be a massively steep cliff (laughs) but apparently it was and and readers were angry and the part of the great thing about this was I was able to get their feedback and then incorporate it into the book and so it did feel very organic and it felt like the reader somehow helped me shape it and I had to say okay how do I explain to the readers why? How do I justify this? Because it wasn't just a cheap trick. It wasn't just a way, you know, a gimmick for me to get them to come back. There was, there was a reason for it. And I needed to somehow justify that. And, and I did by saying, well, if you are now coming back, you're in collusion with me, me being the person who is exposing the journals. Um, if you, if you want more then you can't blame me for exposing these journals because you're part of the problem. And that, by, sh- by showing interest, you're actually encouraging the spread of, of gossip and, the, and just wanting to look behind the scenes and people and wanting to rummage through their, their private interior lives. You're showing up. It's like all the people who buy Us Weekly and then, you know, we get mad at paparazzi. You know, it's, it's just that hypocrisy that, that I love. And I was able to sort of turn it on the reader and say, you're mad at me? Well, you should be mad at yourselves. <laughs> you're doing this. And it was just a really, it was, I had a lot of fun with it. So as far as this series go, do you, do you have a sense already of what the, the trajectory is going to be and how many books maybe it's going to be? Right now, the series is four books. And so I do, for the first time in my life, actually know how it's going to end. And as I said before, I never, with my series, I, I'm incapable of plotting an arc that far in advance. Um, I sort of typically create a really tangled scenario to end my characters in and then I take a break go shopping come back to my computer a week later when the dust is settled in my brain and I'm like okay how do I get us all out of this tangly mess and uh, that is what I wanted to do with this series as well and for the first time my editor put her foot down and she just said no we need to know where this is going you can't just wing it so I actually did figure out who is responsible for exposing these journals and how it is all going to end. And that, that was new for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, who is your editor that you work with on these books, by the way? Aaron Stein. Okay. Now on your site, on your website, you, you say that you basically spend uh, eight hours a day at your desk writing. Is that still uh, pretty accurate? Do it you take is. a disciplined approach? Is that important when you're juggling uh, large and multiple series at the same time? I have to. And when I don't, I I keep trying each new series or each new book I write. I say, I'm going to have more balance in my life and I am, I'm going to be able to come and go and dip in and dip out of the two dimensional world and the three dimensional world. And it never, ever works that the only way for me to, 
get going is to enter the cone of silence and just momentum is my best friend when I'm writing. The more I do it, the faster it gets and the more fluid it becomes. When I try to dip in and dip out and live like a normal person, it's like trying to move through quicksand. It's really kind of brutal. So yeah, I ha- the longer I sit, the better it, it becomes. Now, I hope this isn't an awful question to ask a writer, but when you have a series that sort of hits as big as The Click did, does that leave you with a a certain sense of pressure, either external or internal, when you're then setting out to try something new? Absolutely, yes. (laughs) I'd be lying if I said it did it, because anyone who goes into this in any sort of field or creative field, especially you're never ever starting off thinking you're going to have a hit. You're just so grateful for the opportunity to do anything that, that if it ends there, you're happy. And then everybody is probably surprised by their own success. And then it hits and you don't know how to repeat it because you don't know how you did it in the first place. So there is a tremendous amount of pressure. And then if you don't hit the same you know, you don't reach the same bar that you reached before. You suddenly see yourself as a failure when you could still be successful. I mean, really, as an author, any sort of artist, if if one person says you touched them, you really are a success. Um, but then when you have a certain amount of commercial success, all of that gets skewed, and you, you really have to stay grounded and remind yourself why you're doing this. And the second you sort of put the cart before the horse and try to do it for repeat success it never really works. So it's a constant battle between just do what you love to do and shut out the noise and, and pray for the best. And really it's the kind of thing where if you're happy with your work, you can stand behind it, whether it's a commercial success or not. I think that's true in any walk of life. It's that kind of thing where if you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day, no matter what anyone thinks you can sleep at night. And it's that kind of feeling as well. If you, if you love the novel that you wrote, then then you can sleep at night whether people read it or not. But if you sell out just to, you know, I'm going to write the next Twilight or I'm going to write the next, you know, it's never going to work. Mm-hmm. So now you, you also have written some books in the Monster High series. Was that, you know, you talked earlier about writing boys as sort of a, like a vacation or something, a breath, <laughs> breath of fresh air. I wonder, is like Monster High, because some, some, a lot of your series sort of deal with this sort of you know, somewhat recognizable, realistic high school settings with a lot of romantic and friendship dramas, but human dramas. And then you've got the Monster High books. Was that another sort of little creative vacation? Or No, that was not a vacation at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was a boot camp. <laughs> you know, if, like I said, if you stay true to sort of your own take on life, it, it's really, I mean, you can see me in that just as well as you could in the click. I mean, it's just... My, my sensibility was just dressed up in monster clothes as opposed to designers, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, um, and it, that was actually really fun because each monster was a metaphor for a different type of high school student. I mean, and the, and the problems or the challenges that we all face when we're going through all these changes from a, a tween to an adult and, you know, like um, the va- the vampire character just reminded me of you know, she was embarrassed about her fangs. And that just reminded me of that period in time when I got braces and I wouldn't smile properly because I didn't want people to see my teeth. And just being able to relate those issues and put them on these monsters was just, it was really fun. And to be able to sort of do monsters for the the click type of girl Mm -hmm. was really fun as well. It was like, how do I take this, this, 
overly saturated trend and turn it into something that is from my own voice and my own perspective. What's my own take on this? Um, and so that was fun. It was challenging, but it was really fun as well. And it was a different um, way for me to write. The the uh, Monster High brand, the dolls existed before me. I mean, I love people think that I came up with it, and they're like, "Where's your Where's your debt?" You know, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not come up with the dolls. Um, they hired me, and so it was just sort of this. It was an incredible challenge to be in a conference room at Mattel and they bring in this cart with all these different incredible looking dolls and they said you know can you write a series based on these (laughs) and I felt like I was back in college it was some incredible writing exercise uh, and it was just a different way of of getting to the same place but it was a very it was a great creative exercise. It was really fun. Hmm. And now, do you feel like you're primarily interested in creating series as opposed to standalone works? Do you, do you feel like you've invested in the time in, in the characters and the settings and you want to use them as long as you can? I've never really thought about it. I feel like maybe because I come from a TV background, I think in more of a serial way, these characters are never really done. And because my books aren't as plot-driven as they are character-driven, these these people are alive for me so they have all sorts of different adventures and I could just keep going because to me they're real and we all just as life throws different things at us we grow and evolve and react and act and and so that just seems very natural for me um I but right now I'm working on my first standalone and that actually feels nice as well (laughs) I just feel like you just sort of try on different things and it's whatever wherever you are in your life as an artist it sort of reflects itself and right now I'm in a place where I'm ready to just do a standalone and move on so no you mentioned uh, TV uh, you worked for MTV uh, for some time and I think you've credited that for helping sort of start the click I think in some ways do you still find uh, that your time those years that work uh, continues to influence your writing or are you drawing from other sources of inspiration at this point I'm definitely drawing from other sources. When I started writing The Click, I was still at MTV, so it was the biggest influence in my life at the time. Since then, I've moved across country. I've met an entirely different group of people. I've been working alone in an office as opposed to surrounded by tons of tastemakers in their 20s. It's just a completely different um, headspace for me, and I'm getting older and I'm dealing with more real life dramas as opposed to superficial dramas and that's all influencing everything so I'm not drawing from the MTV years anymore at all I'm actually just drawing from more of the individual drama in my world and just trying to navigate life as an adult and and learn who I am truly as an adult as opposed to it, it, so many different phases of how we grow and evolve and I'm just taking from that more. Now, I think you also have uh, your first book for adults on the, on the horizon. Is that right? That is correct. That's what I'm working on right now. It's called The Dirty Book Club. Well, you know, the, the first click novel is uh, <laughs> t- 
10 years old. So I think that some of those <laughs> teenagers would be probably ready for something maybe a little racier or edgier as that seems to suggest. Yes. Yes. As, as you would think it is, it is a dirty book club. It is based on something that I started when I moved to Laguna beach and I didn't know anybody. And I was trying every Avenue to, to meet people and sort of integrate myself into this very small community. And naturally joining a book club is a great way to meet people. And so I would join all these book clubs and I just did not click with everyone was very nice and very friendly and warm and welcoming, but I don't know if my sense of humor didn't completely jive or there was just, there were a lot of walls set up and I'm very much the type of person that wears it on my sleeve and I'm just very open. And I was looking for that. And long story short, I ended up starting a dirty book club with a, a bunch of girls that I didn't know and nothing bonds you like talking about sex. There's just abs and, and girls doing it. It's just the funny thing I learned though, is that I'm not writing 50 shades of gray. I am not writing sex. I am writing about real people experiencing it and the funny conversations that we have, the, just the relationships and the support female friendships that that come from that 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 talking about sex or talking about the the dirty books that they read really just a jumping off point for them to talk about their own inner truths and their secrets and the things that they won't share with the people they're actually having sex with which is sort of the irony is the people that you're that a lot of women are intimate with aren't the people that know their intimate secrets it's their girlfriends that do and um, I really wanted to explore that so that they read dirty books. They do read Fifty Shades of Grey, but I'm not writing like that. I tried. It was the ickiest feeling in the world. <laughs> it felt like seeing your parents having sex. For me, trying to write sex was just a disaster. I couldn't even look at the page. I was mortified. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get the sense that um, adult readers already make up uh, a good part of your fan base based on what you, you've been hearing over the years? Not completely. I mean, there are some, and they sort of stumble. Anyone who is an adult that has read my books have stumbled upon them through teens, whether it's librarians who have read them or mothers who have read them or just someone who came upon them sort of in their late teens and then grew with the series and it was their little secret guilty pleasure. Um, But as you said before, I mean, the first click came out in 2003, so those girls are now adults, and so they're ready. Yeah. Uh, Do you still hear from uh, fans uh, sort of begging you to write more in the world of the click books? All the time. (laughs) All the time. And it breaks my heart because I would love to. I felt so at one with that series and so in love with those characters, and I never stop hearing about how those characters affected girls I still get letters all the time and but there is something to be said about just leaving while the party's still going that's that's a huge rule of mine Mm. in writing and in partying (laughs) (laughs) I just you don't want to be that person that's like remember when the click was good you know (laughs) I just don't want to be that I'd rather have people beg for more and be saying no sorry try try the pretenders (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, uh, congratulations again on the new book, and uh, thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Uh, So once again, I've been speaking with Lisey Harrison, whose new novel is Licensed to Spill. 
It's the second book in the Pretender series, and it's out in June from the Poppy imprint at Little Brown. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. 